Hey, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here. I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you this week. Uh, we're getting close to the opening of uh, the season, no matter where you are. And so many of you are interested in, number one, South Dakota, which we covered. And number two, public land pheasants in general. Uh, let's just say public land birds in general. Public access of all sorts and uh, and how to uh, maximize your experience there. Now, this will be a, a you know a, a solo uh, a monologue, if you will, uh, based on the 32 years of wandering around the Midwest that I have done, mainly on public access ground of one sort or another, and uh, with a with, kind of with us an emphasis on pheasants since that's our most popular bird, but you will take something away that will be of value to you no matter where you're hunting and what birds you're hunting for. So stick around. That should be a lot of fun. I can't wait to share some of the things I've learned the hard way so you don't have to. And uh, out of all of that, maybe you'll pick up one or two little tips that'll put another bird in the bag for you. We've got more on top of that. We've got your scorecard from last year. Yeah, uh, I asked you how many birds you shot, and well, I'm going to share that with you. So you, you can determine whether you're right in there, uh, you're a better shot, uh, you're a luckier hunter, whatever it is. It's coming up right here. As well as no an observation in our Handlet segment. Uh, you know, I, I'm big, and so is Flick, on food treats. Yeah, he's six years old, and he's still, uh, you know, uh, he'll just do just about do anything for the right kind of food treat and i'm going to make an uh, an argument for using food treats for older dogs sometimes maybe when nothing else works it's all on the upland nation podcast made possible by high-vis shooting systems purina pro plan sport midwayusa.com truelock choke tubes mid-valley clays and shooting school pointer shotguns, and sage and breaker gun care products. Well, I'm going to talk food treats in a few minutes about uh, me and Flick and our training, but uh, it it is um, part of this whole milieu that I'm going to discuss right now. Here we are trying to get Flick steady to wing shot and fall. Emphasis on the fall. It's working pretty well. I'm knocking wood as I say it because um, uh, most of my dogs have never been reliably steady to a bird that's falling down that they know they're going to go and pick up and bring back and hold in their mouth. Um, but Flick seems to be responding pretty well to that. We're up to gunshots. And three birds flying, one of them falling. Yes, it was dicey yesterday, but by the end of the day, we had it. And by the end of the day, I, you know, I don't hammer on this stuff. Three reps a day of anything is probably pretty good. So uh, we leave well enough alone. If he's on number two and he excels, we get out of there. And he did. Yeah. <laughs> My wing clip birds, they're all over the board, almost literally. Some of them fly 18, 20 feet. Some of them fly 20 to 60 yards. So keeping everybody on our toes around here. And you, you know, uh, how many birds fell to your shots? 
last season? That was a question on the Upland Nation Insights newsletter. Subscribe at findbirdhuntingspots.com. Anyway, how many wild birds did you shoot last season? Well, I feel sorry for about 19% of you who said they didn't shoot a single one. Another 19%, they shot one to five wild birds. 11% said six to 10. 20% said 11 to 20 wild birds. And 15% said 21 to 30 birds. Uh, The luckiest ones of the bunch, almost 15% of you shot 31 or more wild birds last season. Good on you. Probably passed on a highway out there in the middle of nowhere. That's where those birds are. And uh, maybe I'll see you again there this season. Yeah, the Upland Nation podcast is brought to you in part by Purina Pro Plan Sport.com. Yeah, let me give you that again. The address is ProPlansport.com. Whether you're looking for a puppy formula for your athletic dog that promotes concentration, problem-solving, and trainability, yeah, these guys, they've got something for everybody in their ProPlan menu. Senior-specific formula helps fuel performance as a dog ages, they got all life stages formulas to fuel a dog's entire career in the field. ProPlansport.com. That's what I'm feeding. Lick seems to really like it, too. And speaking of really liking it, MidwayUSA.com is taking care of me, and they can take care of you as well. The best news, sign up for their emails or texts and you'll get 10% off your next order. Yeah, I mean, if you're like me, that could be a significant amount. 10% off, just sign up anywhere. Just go to MidwayUSA.com. Just read any page there and you'll figure out how to do that. You know, they've got uh, just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors. And now... Your first order gets 10% off if you sign up for their email or text notifications. MidwayUSA.com Well, you know it. I know it. That spine-tingling cackle, the rattle of wings, that tail that always draws your eye. That's why you miss. Okay, that's why I miss. And the adrenaline rush that makes the hair on your neck stand up. That's the joy of ringneck pheasants. Fasianos colchicos. Now, a little over 100 years ago, they came to, well, they were most successfully introduced first in Redfield, South Dakota. One of my favorite places. Talked about them last week a little bit. Still a wonderful place to go for wild ringnecks. And the king... The top of the list when it comes to wild bird hunters. It's all of those things and more. The color. How can they camouflage themselves in any crop or CRP or any other kind of habitat with those colors? But they do. And we, in turn, chase them all over the middle section of our vast United States. Yeah. They're the ghost of our dreams. Well, 50% of us. Now, getting there may be half the fun, but being there is when the rodeo really starts. 
So the first question is, where is there? Remember Alice in Wonderland? Remember the Cheshire Cat? He said, well, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. But we don't have time for that. You've got a limited amount of vacation. You've got a limited budget. Your buddy can only be away for four days. Whatever it is, it pays to navigate the right acres of public land and walk-in ground waiting for you to drop the tailgate and unclip your dog's leash. So we're going to first start with where to go. Because the last thing I want to see when I'm out there is you wandering around like some husband on Rodeo Drive holding his wife's purse. Here is how to map out your pheasant quest. All right. Well, in large part, your destination may be dictated by how far you're willing to travel. In fact, I'm going to give a talk on that later this winter. Um, the first thing you got to do is kind of draw a circle about as many miles as you're willing or able to drive. That will narrow your scope. If you've um, read anything or are beyond the um, earliest stages of bird hunting, you know exactly where you want to go. But within that region, there are sweet spots. They've been handed down from father to son or you know, you get invited to be a part of a group, and, and that group has their place. Uh, but a lot of us discover this stuff by sheer chance or by hard dang work. Wearing out boot leather, burning up the Internet, and then trying to figure out how to use that online mapping app. My revelation came about much like yours, I'll bet, but it was in an old, old shelter belt in South Dakota. Um, I was on the end blocking. Two friends were pushing this thing. And in the distance, I thought they were scaring crows out of the shelter belt. There were so many. And, you know, they were silhouetted in, you know, against the what little light there was. It was really cold and snowy. But once they got closer, I put two and two together. Those tails are too long for... Cr oh, they are pheasants. Of course, the first one that flew past me, I missed twice. But after comprehending the sheer number of birds in that spot, I reloaded and dropped a late riser, and I was hooked. That was a bad year in South Dakota. But you know it's better than most years everywhere else combined. All right, South Dakota, right on your list, yeah. But there are other states that may well have really good public land pheasant hunting, depending on the season, the climate, the time of year you're going. It doesn't matter. I've roamed all of them. Northeast Montana, Central Montana, Iowa, Nebraska, Western Kansas. Oh, let's not forget North Dakota. All of those are on the podium, but they're below the level of South Dakota. Now, the joy of those is not as many people are going to them. And some of them, depending on where you are, could have significantly stronger populations 
depending on all those variables we look at. Now, not coincidentally, all of those states also have very advanced, sophisticated public access initiatives. They call them by different names, but most of them allow you to access private ground in one way or another when you jump through the right hoops. They're walk-in programs, uh, public land open to sportsmen, whatever they call it, it doesn't matter. They're out there. And the first thing you want to do once you've identified kind of a state you want to go to, or even a region, is learn more about their walk-in program. Now, one word of caution. Just the walk-in program is only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is all the publicly owned land. Yeah, we own it. And we hire bureaucrats to administer it, to take care of it for us. Whether it's a national forest, a national grassland, it could be Bureau of Land Management property, it doesn't matter. We own it and we have access to most of it for hunting. So do not, <clears throat> don't limit your, your search for destinations to places that just have great walk-in programs. So let's go, um, well, kind of state by state at some of the places I think are worth your attention. These are all places I've been to, I've hunted, I've spent lots of time on the ground, hanging out with the locals, testing all the craft beers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. anyway, <laughs> enough about the craft beer. So let's go to North Dakota, two of my favorite places. In fact, the first, uh, let's see what we were making back then. Oh, Cast and Blast. The first Cast and Blast TV episode I did was in a blizzard in uh, Dickinson, North Dakota. <clears throat> That's kind of on the southwest corner. And up the road from Dickinson is Mott. And in between there is a kind of one of the state highways, used to have, I wonder if it's still there, a series of uh, metal sculptures out on the prairie there by some crazy artist. If it's still there, drive the highway, stop and take your pictures. Dickinson and Mott, North Dakota, worth your attention. Lower key, smaller towns, fewer amenities than most, but both have lots of public access surrounding them. Williston used to be pretty good. I haven't hunted that place for a while. Uh, they, they were uh, overrun during the oil boom, but now things have settled. There's still a bunch of drilling going on, but the, 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 the heyday has gone. All right, so those are places I like in North Dakota. All right, in Montana, Plenty Wood is one of my favorite places in northeast along the High Line. The High Line itself, that's, I don't remember the name of the uh, highway number, but there's a highway that goes just south of Canada all the way across. Had some good times in Haver, has made some shows there too. Um, also made shows in Conrad. That's more towards uh, Great Falls. And you know of my affinity for Lewistown. Yeah, most of the public ground in Lewistown is, is more amenable to uh, sharp tails, but there's still pheasant ground out there. All right, driving to Kansas. Many of the western Kansas towns that we've been to over the years include Norton, Goodland, 
Jetmore, Osborne, don't forget for, uh, Dodge City. Always fun. History as well as some pheasant hunting out there. And the joy of Kansas is you can buy a full year non-resident license uh, for about the same cost as a South Dakota 10-day license, for example. And if you can't get your vacation days until later in the season, well, they're south enough to where you can have more reliable, warmer weather when people are shivering in the Dakotas. Yeah, um, I, I talk a lot about South Dakota, number one, because they've been very good to me over the years. Number two, I've spent uh, the majority of my pheasant hunting career, 32 years of it, in that state for all the same reasons you want to go there or you want to go back there. East of the Missouri River is, uh, is where the opportunity really is. Yeah, there's some, uh, there's some hunting west of the river. And, um, and a lot of folks love it over there. There's some private ground. Uh, there's some reservation ground. Uh, there's uh, walking ground. And some uh, public, uh, I'll just loosely call it grasslands, not official national grasslands, but various pieces of public ground that look the same as every other piece of national grasslands. Uh, those are all good west of the river. But east of the river is where the action is. In no particular order, I've had a lot of fun in places uh, near Watertown, that's way northeast, Aberdeen, a little bit south of there, Brookings, Redfield. The highest pheasant harvest numbers in South Dakota, South Dakota are in these counties, Brown, Beadle, that's B-E-A-D-L-E, Brule, just like it sounds, Lyman, and Spink. Now, they're all different in some way. They all have a good little town that will support you. You can stay there if you like. There's camping of various sorts available, too. And they're all welcoming to hunters. I'll never forget Watertown one time. I was uh, looking for an, uh, uh, an uncrowded spot, which to me means smaller places that most people just drive past. And, and we found one, Flick and I. And... Uh, you know, that's the spot where he pointed the raccoon. Everybody lived to tell about it. No harm done. No egos crushed. And later that day around the same pond, uh, I actually shot a double. That doesn't happen very often. I don't care what kind of bird we're talking about. Hey, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. We're, we're kind of looking at public land pheasant hunting some of the observations and suggestions that might help you find a few more birds if that's your goal for this year. Now, I've shot and missed birds near every town and every county that I've mentioned so far. But here are the ones where if, if you said, Scott, I want to shoot a limit of ringnecks, where should I go? Uh, I would start in Huron, South Dakota. It is ground zero for ringnecks these days. They usually have the highest harvest numbers per hunter. And they also have a whole bunch of public access within driving distance of town. Kind of a nexus of federal, state, private land open to hunters. There's a lot of different kinds of habitat. 
everything from prairie to marsh, shelter belts to creek bottoms. It's all right there. It's all near Huron, and Huron loves their hunters. In fact, they even have a ringneck festival in, uh, in the late season that's worth, worth visiting. And the reason they do it in the late season is because the hunting is still so good. Plus, they have all the comforts of home. Retail, restaurants, pretty good Mexican restaurant, campgrounds and hotels. They've got it. All right. Yeah, I do have a soft spot in my heart, and I will miss them this year. So somebody go back there and tell them I sent you. Thanks a lot. All right. So those are some of the high spots, if you want to call it that. Uh, We'll have more on how to hunt when you get there, what to do uh, when you're planning your trip. It's all coming up right here on the Upland Nation podcast, as well as those unusual uses for food treats for, say, a more mature dog. That'll be right after this. Brought to you by HiVizSites.com. Yeah, they say, see what you've been missing. Boy, I can sure use the help, and I am. Now, I don't look at the muzzle when I'm shooting. Maybe I should, but it does create sort of a cognizance. I don't know what to call it, a, a, a peripheral situational awareness. When you put a high-vis sight on your muzzle, and they're easy to put on. Most of them are magnetic. You just snap it on. Choose the light pipe you like, and you're good to go. That's why their original equipment on uh, major brands, including Ruger, Smith & Wesson, Benelli, Browning, and Remington. Learn what you've uh, been, so well, see what you've been missing. Visit HiVizSites.com, H-I-V-I-Z Sites.com. Just got some great news from my friends at Pointer Shotguns. Yes, there is now a 28-gauge case-colored over and under. I'm rubbing my hands together. You can't hear that. Maybe you can I can't wait to get mine. I'm so looking forward to that gun. It is beautiful, as all case-colored guns are, and you never know. That's the cool part about case coloring. You never know what that pattern is going to look like until it comes out. They've also got youth over and unders available, and the prices are incredible. Learn more and find a local dealer at PointerShotguns.com. All right, welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here, going through some of the some of the notes I've made over the years for public land pheasant hunting that might help you as well. All right, so we're looking at a state, maybe even a county, or at least a region uh, that you want to go to based on whatever your criteria are. Time to start doing your homework. And and I don't know why more people don't do this, but most people do not use Google to their advantage. Uh, The first thing you want to do, Google walk-in hunting North Dakota. That'll get you to the state agency pages that will clue you into how the program works, provide some online maps. A lot of states have a a mobile app as well. You can also order the hard copies of the state's hunting atlas. Always a good idea. 
Just remember it's not updated, so you need the mobile app as well. Read everything else you can get your hands on, especially in Google. There's all sorts of interesting stuff out there if you just dig a little deeper. What else are you going to do? <laughs> sure beats mowing the lawn. Pay particular attention to some, some of the kind of the, the, the less common information sources. Some of the online forums or social media posts, read between the lines. Nobody's going to tell you to go to that latitude and longitude, but you can suss out some of the subtle hints that could help you find some generalized starting points. Then pick up the phone. It's, it's always within reach, isn't it? Start putting it to work. Talk to the chambers of commerce, visitors bureaus, talk to the local biologists and 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 even the folks who take your hotel reservation, all of them will have some suggestions. Eh, some you'll want to take with a grain or more of salt, but others you just never know. Somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Just remember, the folks in the know will probably never steer you to their honey holes. So um, keep that in mind. I'll never forget. I was, I, this was uh, not a pheasant hunt. This was in another state for another species. And I talked to the guy who did all the biology in that region. And he talked all around a spot that um, just out of curiosity, I thought I'd ask him about um, because I'd been there the day before. So I finally, when he wouldn't mention that area uh, and that particular road and that particular draw, I asked him about it, and he said, oh, there's nothing there. Nothing there. Don't bother. And then I told him I'd shot almost a limit of valley quail in that spot, and he was kind of chagrined. I guess that would be contrite. So... Take everything you hear with, uh, you know, a little bit of skepticism. But do take it. And keep notes. And then once your hunting atlas arrives, make that your go-to uh, reference source. Figure out the color scheme. Keep it updated. Uh, once the uh, mobile app is updated, transfer that to your hard copy as well. Make sure all of these have all the publicly owned land. Like I said, Forest Service, BLM, Bureau of Reclamation, all of those guys. And places like waterfowl production areas, wildlife refuges, public school fund land, Corps of Engineer, and all those other obscure public agency properties that are still open to us. I was relating a story over a campfire a couple nights ago uh, that, uh, that still sticks in my mind from way back. And the lesson in it, the top line is, trust but verify when it comes to any maps in any format. They are all based on the data generated by the, uh, let's see, what are they called now? The U.S. Geological Survey. And those folks, they work hard, but sometimes they just don't work hard enough for you and me. We were sitting in a meadow next to a trout stream years ago, 
many years ago, and a helicopter kept trading back and forth up this valley we were in. This is, some of you remember back in the day, I said, wouldn't that be great if that helped? We were thirsty and hungry. It was hot. I said, wouldn't it be great if that helicopter landed in the meadow? And Dave said, wouldn't it be great if out of the helicopter came the Swedish bikini t- team? And before he could finish that, I said, and they brought beer. Well, none of that happened, but a guy came out, and he was holding one of those giant maps that the federal agencies are notorious for. So we're trying to figure out what the heck's going on. He comes over to us. He says, can you guys tell us what the name of this creek is? And we look at each other and think, yeah, but you're the one with the map. What are you doing here? He says, well, we are mapping all of the gold mines in this drainage. But we don't know what the name of that stream is. Can you show us on the map where we are? And we did. Then I said, but by the way, who are you? He said, oh, we're with the U.S. Geological Survey. Yeah, the guys who make the maps. I won't tell you the other stories that didn't have quite as happy an ending. But anyway, trust but verify anything you find on a map. In fact, when you get down to that level, that's when you go back to the Chamber of Commerce, the biologists, and maybe even just the front desk person at some of those federal agencies. I've had some great tips from people like that who turned out to be pro-hunting. You know, here's another one for you, and I've seen this especially in South Dakota, but in other places as well. When you call the Chamber of Commerce, or better still, stop in and pick up all the discount coupons and uh, other maps and things like that, ask if they have a little vest pocket list of landowners who are willing to welcome hunters. Sometimes it's free, sometimes there's a small fee, but it's certainly worth asking about. All right, let's start routing our hunt. I don't know about you, but if I've driven two days to get to some place, I don't want to waste more driving time than I have to to get to the actual hunting spot. So when I've got my hunting atlas and I've got uh, a map with all of those public access spots, uh, and I've narrowed it down because I've looked at my online mapping app and I've decided, well, that one has pretty good habitat. That one is barren. That one looks like a moonscape. That one looks like uh, Sasquatch is still living there. I'll pick those places and I'll plot a drive each day that has several spots in a concentrated area. That's a, when one doesn't pay off. They're still grazing. They had an emergency hay order, whatever it is. Uh, I can go to the next one and not waste a whole bunch of time trying to find one or driving across the county to find another one. Easier to punt if your next destination is just a few miles away. Bear in mind, en route to that next honey hole, you might find some new ground that may have joined the access program at the last minute. So Keep your eyes peeled for those little square parking areas, maybe with a sign that you'll learn to recognize over the 
course of your visit, they're all the same, and, uh, and if no one's there, it might be worth a look. And I will always go to the furthest one for the day first. And you know why. Last time I was here on last year, by the way, if you were at the Fur Feathers Friends events last year, thank you. Next year, I'm not this season, in 2024, we'll have another one. Anyway, I was racing from Huron, South Dakota, to the very top of the map. I was on the edge of Beetle County because everyone else was stopping at the first public access they found when they left town. I had that one all to myself. I didn't shoot anything, but I had a few birds fly in front of me. And then I just worked my way back to town over the course of the day. So when happy hour came, I was within 10-minute drive of Big D's Tavern. Thanks for hosting us, by the way. There's also another reason to slow down every once in a while, and that is you never know. You might see a biologist, a truck with a logo on it. It doesn't matter. It happened to me on that same trip. It wasn't in the program officially yet, but there was a little quarter mile, no, quarter section of ground where there was a pheasant. Pheasant's forever biologist uh, just loading up his gear. I stopped in, said hello, offered a coffee, and we talked for a while. And I said, what do you, he says, well, it's going to be in the program. I just haven't put up the sign yet. We chased one ringneck down this little ditch. Uh, I don't think it was really an irrigation ditch, but it, that's what I would describe it as. 800 yards we tracked that bird before it got up. And uh, Flick wasn't steady to wing shot and fall, but he did bring it back to me. <laughs> yeah, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. Uh, we are talking everything uh, public land pheasants here. And uh, uh hope you're getting something out of it. Um, these are the things I've learned over the years the hard way. Spent a lot of extra miles and a lot more gas money than then you need to for that reason. All right, so once you've sketched out a rough, rough itinerary, it's time to do some scouting. If you're there before the season, obviously that's the time to do it. But each late afternoon when the dogs are resting and, and you don't want to walk anymore, get back in the truck and scope out the next day's destinations. Not last year, but the year before, I saved at least two hours of uh, aggravation when I found all the roads closed because of flooding in the patch I wanted to go to first. Now, the other joy is you might find a back door to some of the more popular walk-in areas where nobody else is parked. That paid off again for me once near a small, small, small town. Thank you, Doug, for hosting me. Uh, out that country, gale force winds. Everybody else decided it was too windy. I was still driving around. I found a spot that had enough timber cover. It was worth a look. So we piled out, and uh, and sure enough, after about a quarter mile of walking, there is what looks like a pond, but you know, with surrounded by dikes. 
So I couldn't see what was in it yet, but it was a, basically a square pond. We moseyed over to that, and in the pond was no water, moist ground, and head-high cattails. Flick says, I know what, I know what they, they're going to hold. He's already piled in, and he is looking his best, and all I can do is see the cattail stalks rattling like this, and then the, you know, the cattail fluff creating a, a, a wake in his path. Son of a gun, if I don't go down in there when all of that stops and I can't find him. So <clears throat> I'm looking on the GPS. I finally note where he is, and I note where I am, and I start moving towards it. Sure enough, yeah, a double. That's when the wife called. Boy, that was fun. Answered that phone and told her, Sorry, honey, can't talk now. Got to go find two dead ringnecks. Click. The lesson is, there's always some place to hunt, no matter what the conditions are like. Be creative. Try and find a spot that nobody else is willing to go to. That happens over and over again. That's why there are shelter belts in a place like South Dakota, Kansas, North Dakota. There's a reason for that stuff. You can learn how to use it as well. Keep an open mind. Zig when others zag. And you never know. Once your hunt is done for the day and you've done your reconnoiters, then go have a beer and relax. Because in the morning, we hunt. Get up early. Some states you can't hunt until 10. Others you can hunt at the crack of dawn. That's the first rule. Second rule, be willing to walk a little bit farther than everybody else. Get creative. And if you choose your destination wisely, there are plenty of places to hunt, even if there's somebody else already parked there. Go around to the other side. Go to the next spot. Come back to this one. Like I said, walk farther than everybody else. Be courteous. You know, everybody wants the spot to themselves, and, and if, if you can't give them that, give them the feeling that they have it to themselves by hunting in the other direction or something like that. If they're still in the parking area, maybe you can ask, hey, which way are you going? Okay, I'll go that way. Be grateful, and remember that if you can comfortably slide in, they might push the birds your way. Hunt the harder covers, the ones naive hunters don't know about. Beat your way through the shelter belts in the woodlands. Search the edges of unharvested crops, the gullies and patches that birds will run to. Far from the... Don't spend time on the beaten path. That's, where, that's why they're beaten. Okay, I know, I know. It's obvious, but it's not. I once jumped three different birds from a flooded prairie. Nobody wanted to go in knee-deep in the water, but there were high spots here and there, and my dog didn't mind. Neither did I, although it took three days for that pair of boots to dry. I missed all three of those birds because I was just passing through. I wasn't ready to shoot. What self-respecting ringneck would be hanging out in a swamp? But my problem, not yours, Check out the stuff that nobody else wants to bother with. 
and hunt until the bitter end of the day when everybody else is piloting a bar stool you're the only guy out there putting birds in the air hit the edges between private and public land especially early and late you know they're trading back and forth from uh, roosting cover to feeding cover to loafing cover edges are all I know I know but sometimes it's just subtle stuff down in those low spots a lot of that stuff is waterfowl production area down in a low spot like that the grass is eight or ten inches higher than it is on the high spots that may be the difference and the edge right there is worth a look the best pheasant point I got from Flick last season was on a spot like that knee-high grass next to a cattail patch yeah somehow we caught that bird going from one to the other I don't know why it was the middle of the day I'm not gonna complain though <laughs> I'm grateful for it good dog yeah and that brings up a point just because the sign says waterfowl production area it doesn't mean pheasants or sharp tails aren't welcome to make sure you're using non-toxic shot and then go to town all the guys wearing camo are long gone by the time you get there anyway yeah work 10 percent harder than everybody else maybe that means trudging through an overgrazed dusty pasture to get to the good stuff a half a mile away but that trek might be rewarded a lush swale maybe or a shelter belt that nobody else could see and nobody else was willing to walk to yeah there is um, my take on 30 years of uh, stuff that might help you find more and better public access pheasant hunting and remember it's all an adventure and the journey is as important as the destination. I'll give you one more example of that. Be nice, and people will be nice to you. I was stopped at a four-way intersection, you know, those section lines. Everything's a square mile in many of these states. And, and I was stopped at one because some guy was coming from the other direction. He stopped. He had a dog trailer. I had a dog box, blah, blah. I wave him through. No, he waves me through. I wave him. No, he might. I shut off the engine. I go over and I say, thanks, but how you doing? And we get to talking. He says, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, here's this blue spot on the map and I just left it and I'm going to go to that blue spot over there and he says well why don't you just hunt that place right there it's catty corner to us we're just sitting there I said I'd love to but it's private property and he says it's mine let's go and that was that spent the rest of the day hunting with him a pro baseball player and his son we had a great time even saw a black pheasant Thought it was a skunk we hightailed it in the other direction but i did see one and luckily somebody else shot it later that day anyway you never know what's going to happen out there keep an open mind uh, the lessons are very clear golden rule is prevalent uh, remember that you are a guest those are all the things that are important 
to me when I'm hunting public land for pheasants. And hopefully some of them will help you find more hunting, more great dog work, and maybe make a new friend or two. Whew. We've still got more coming up here. We're going to talk about food treats and how they might motivate older dogs for certain things in certain places. Uh, and, uh, well, you know, we'll see where it goes. We're brought to you by Sage and Breaker dot com sage and breaker s-a-g-e breaker b-r-a-k-e-r dot com gun cleaning and gun care gun storage gun transport they've got it taken care of sign up for the mailing list they got a new product coming out and if you're looking for a scoped rifle case heirloom quality of course they will let you know as soon as it's available it's coming soon all the future sales, any other new products, it's all at sageandbreaker.com. Get on the mailing list. They won't pass to you with a whole bunch of crap like some of those other guys do. But when something important and of interest to you is available, they'll let you know. All right, great news for you dove hunters, and some of us will do that uh, a lot. Some of us will do that a little bit. When we do, um, truelockchokes.com has some new products for you that might help improve your shooting. You know, you shoot a lot of rounds. You buy the cheap stuff to shoot. 7.5, size 8, commonly used in dove hunting, and notoriously poor patterns. Well, Truelock has some new dove chokes. They've taken, taken the standard skeet to light modified and improved modified choke tubes in 20 gauge and they've tightened just the exit diameter that improves pattern density you might drop a couple more birds a day with the new true lock dove chokes in 20 gauge learn more about all their choke tubes at truelockchokes.com <laughs> Well, this week on Handle It, let me just uh, share an experience with you that um, that uh, might, you know, change your mind about the appropriateness of food treats. Well, some dogs and wire hairs are some of the worst, I think, except for our corgi. She's even worse. But some of our dogs um, love and are motivated by food treats and even more motivated by the really good stuff. And in our household, that means ham fat, chickens, cooked chicken skin, and hot dog bits. Those are the magic keys to better performance in many young dogs, but even with Flick. Let me just share this one with you just so that I can change your mind a little bit. Don't get stuck in the rut that food treats are only for puppies or they're for nobody anytime. Sometimes it works. Now, I've talked a lot about training Flick to be steady to wing shot and fall. He is so excitable when he brings a bird back. I'm a cheapskate. I got a lot of pigeons, knock wood, uh, but I would like to be able to reuse them if possible. Yeah, I don't kill many birds. Um, I'm too cheap. But, um, <clears throat> but so these wing clip birds that I, I release for, for training Flick, I want him to bring them back alive 
but he gets so worked up, especially when we have multiple birds flying at the same time. The excitement is enough to cause him to just chomp down a little bit more on some of those birds. And then they're only good for a few other things, but they're not good for flying anymore. <laughs> so just by sheer chance, just by dumb luck, because he is so motivated by food, I've been giving him rewards for the whole wing shot fall steady retrieve process. And it's all one thing now. It started as all the bits and pieces, just like it should. I use that high-value food treat to get him back here without messing around too much once he finds the dead bird, the quote dead bird, because it's not. It just can't fly. All right. It works. He is now so attuned to bringing that bird back as quickly as possible and holding it carefully in anticipation of the anticipated food treat that I am usually lucky enough to be able to recycle that bird a couple days later after the bruises are healed and use it again. Flick is willing to do all that because he knows he's going to get a reward. We're at the point now where we're weaning him away from the food treats and it works just it's just like every other bit of training. You start hard, frequent intense and then you start scaling back whatever it is for me that's how i get a soft mouth retrieve for you might be something else consider it if nothing else works okay and that uh, handle it segment was brought to you by mid-valley clays and shooting school hey who couldn't use an extra $75 off a new Browning shotgun? They got a rebate program, and midvalleyclays.com is where you learn more about it. If you're looking for a new Browning, Satori, Maxis, BPS, doesn't matter. Call midvalleyclays.com and see what they've got in stock for you for this season with up to $75 off a new Browning shotgun. That's at mid valleyclays.com It's time to welcome our newest sponsor landtrust.com Yeah, they named it that for a reason. landtrust.com connects trusted guests like you with landowners who offer exclusive access to their land for bird hunting. It's exclusive, it's private property, and it's affordable. Take a look at their website and see for yourself, landtrust.com. It's a DIY option that focuses on providing you and your dogs with a safe, quality experience. Yeah, go to landtrust.com, create your account, and learn more. Believe me, your dogs will thank you for it. Landtrust.com Sure appreciate your support, your feedback, all of you who comment, whether it's at the uh, newsletter survey or on the social media. I learn something every time I open one of those pages and you are teaching as much as I am. So thank you. And thank you on behalf of all the less experienced hunters who also learn from you. 
If you think you did learn something, please tell one person about the Upland Nation podcast. That's how we grow around here. Or leave a rating or a review. Thank you in advance for all of that. And thank you to our sponsors who make this all possible. Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Purina, Pro Plan Sport, Dog Food, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, and TrueLockChokes.com. You know, there's all sorts of information, just like today's topic, at FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. Until I see you at the range, or soon enough in the field, I'll see you there. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation Podcast. It's time to welcome our newest sponsor, LandTrust.com. Yeah, they named it that for a reason. LandTrust.com connects trusted guests like you with landowners who offer exclusive access to their land for bird hunting. It's exclusive, it's private property, and it's affordable. Take a look at their website and see for yourself, LandTrust.com. It's a DIY option that focuses on providing you and your dogs with a safe, quality experience. Yeah, go to LandTrust.com, create your account, and learn more. Believe me, your dogs will thank you for it. LandTrust.com